2: Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot here on hawkfanatic.com. Jo- Rob Howe joined as always by Scott Docterman. Uh, I'm going to use this video so people know why <laughs> I'm laughing. Uh, Scott has his cat with him today. Um, remind me of the cat's name. I apologize, cat. See, now uh, he's offended. He's going to climb off. Yeah. Of- yeah, he's mad. knows you, Zilla.
0: <laughs> his name's Zilla. Uh, my son named him after Godzilla. Uh, uh back when we got him 13 plus years ago but we just called him zilla because he doesn't really fit that description but uh yeah (laughs) sparkle and zilla sparkle was sparkle sky sunshine by my daughter and this one was godzilla so they sparkle rest in peace yeah
2: sparkle he's in a box (laughs) (laughs) we'll see if zilla decides to move back into the frame at some point during this podcast um Wanted to let you guys know this probably won't be as long as some of our podcasts. It's kind of a slower time of year for Hawkeye Athletics, but we want to hit on some of the hot topics and things that are going on right now in the Hotspot Podcast. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, Edward Jones, Wild Rose Casino, and Systems Unlimited. Um, we are recording. It is Wednesday, May the 25th at a little afternoon central time. We're a day early this week to... Uh, Just kind of work around our schedules a little bit. So um, if you were looking for us on Thursday, uh, go back a day. That's where you'll find the podcast. It's on the feed. Uh, All the Hawkeye Fanatic podcasts are on the feed. Please check those out. Uh, Scott, let's start with baseball because that's kind of the live sport that's going on right now. Uh, And we originally thought that this would be a good time to record this podcast because, Uh, It would fall in between the end of the first game for Iowa and the beginning of the second game. And then Mother Nature had other ideas. And the 9 a.m. start this morning in Omaha has been pushed, they hope, until 5 p.m. Central time today, uh, Iowa and Penn State. We'll see what the rain does with this thing. There's really nothing you can do.
0: Yeah, all you can do is wait this point. That's really about it. So. Uh, you hope to get in as many games as possible and, and, you know, they have a great stadium there, but right now it's just really, uh, it's going to be a challenge. I think all weekend, because these, these tournaments just, they fill them up to the point where it's hard to really get games. And it's almost, it almost would make sense. Don't you think Rob for them to maybe tip this off a day early, uh, start first pitch on what would it be? Wednesday you know afternoon or something at least two games so if you have an issue like this it doesn't just cram everything in to where you got to do kind of a okay well it's only going to be single elimination from now on
2: yeah it almost would seem like if they wanted to just kind of towards the end of the season they 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 move the 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 normal Friday weekend, Friday to Sunday weekend series to Thursday through Saturday on the last day of the regular season, maybe even push that back another day and maybe go Wednesday to Friday, and then you give your, you know, your quote-unquote normal Friday night ace pitchers an extra day, because I think that's the thought process here is giving the pitchers enough time to uh, recover uh, your ace who would pitch on a Thursday and then come back on a Wednesday Um, At this point in the season, they've thrown a ton of innings. Maybe just make it so they have that same window. I don't think it would throw things off that much.
0: Yeah. Well, exactly. And, again, you want to make sure you get your games in here because, you you know, there are a lot of teams on the bubble, and Iowa certainly is one of them, uh, that, uh, you know, this is their opportunity to, you know, for probably teams five through eight, this is their one chance to get to the NCAA. For teams three and four, it's their opportunity to solidify or build it, or enhance their resume for the the tournament. And then teams what one and two, uh, you know Maryland and Rutgers to to really put a stamp on their season. So you want to make sure you get this whole thing in. Otherwise, they're if if this is a disaster because of rain, then they're going to have to make sure to that they may have to evaluate the future of this. Maybe it's maybe it's something as simple as. Go, you know, rent now to Milwaukee Stadium, you know, yeah. and do it there from now on because you know you can at least have it uh, an indoor experience if needed.
2: Yeah, it, it, whatever they could do to kind of make this a little bit more—I um, don't know—just make it be- make it better. Because if you have a if you have craziness this week, that hurts the teams next week when they go to regionals if they're all out of whack and you know pitching staffs are overtaxed because you're trying to jam a bunch of games into a short amount of time. Um, You want to do what's best for your conference so it can show the best when it gets to the NCAA tournament. Um, Just for those that are listening to this before Iowa starts today, uh, schedule start is 5 p.m. on the Big Ten Network against Penn State. Um, And then Thursday they switched. They switched the games that were scheduled for tonight to tomorrow morning. So, I think at that point I don't have the schedule in front of me but I think at that point Iowa if it wins would play again tomorrow night mm-hmm. if if that's how it would work I'm not positive how that how that would uh shake out cuz they have not updated the schedule on the Big 10 on big10.org they have not updated any of this or have they okay they have they didn't update the actual bracket itself so Actually, no. If Iowa were to win tonight, it wouldn't play again until Friday morning. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, that, that's a nice uh,
0: wait, I guess, for them. I mean, so they would. Uh, yeah, that's, I see. I see the old schedule.
2: <laughs> I don't see the. Yeah, end. if they were to lose to today, if provided they get the game in, they would come back and play at five o'clock tomorrow. Night. If they were to win tonight. They would come back and play at 9 a.m. Friday morning.
0: Okay, yeah. Now I do see it. It's the bracket has it's as below you said the bracket. Yeah, the bracket hasn't been updated, but the uh, yeah. So it's, it's a confusing situation. And then and it, what's kind of funny is they just kind of it's not double elimination at the end. I mean, so it's it's just one game, winner take all. So it's, I don't know. I I guess. We'll find out how this goes. Sometimes you wonder, would it make sense just to go six teams deep instead of eight? But, you know, that. But that's all Mother Nature related at this point anyway.
2: Yeah, there was some controversy last week, too, with Purdue can- canceling some <laughs> games on, on Nebraska. I feel bad for Nebraska, kind of, uh, yeah. because that's not the way you want to get knocked out of the postseason. But I guess win more games during the season if you want to get in.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're begging to get in as the number eight seed, then you're kind of at the whim of everybody else. But still, yeah, I did. I, I know. I remember that Saturday. You know, there wasn't any rain that was going on, but they still had a tarp on the field. I mean, they were. Uh, that was that was some rigged stuff, man. That was that wasn't the best thought no, thought for Purdue.
2: Not cool by Purdue at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we'll see what happens with Purdue in the tournament. Um, they, uh, who do they have first? They are, they have Maryland, right? So they could get they could. Uh, no, Indiana has Maryland. Purdue got. They got, in as they got the Rutgers. Seven. Yeah. They could play. They could
0: play Iowa, um, yeah. at some point because they're in the same fourteen bracket. So yep. you know the the chalk, no, but it, you know they very well could somehow you know, play the Hawkeyes.
2: I know Iowa feels like it is in. I just, I, when you're on the bubble, again, I looked at Baseball America yesterday and it has Iowa, I think it's 62 or 63. So the last four in, but not even the, you know, in by the four spot, it's like in that, you know, second to third team that is, you know, that just got in. So I really think they have to beat Penn State. And then after that, you know, another win would really probably solidify it. Um, You'll win one and then lose that one, and then it gets double in elimination. You're dealing with the rain. You may not get to play again. Really got to get that first one under your belt and preferably two under your belt to try to uh, solidify your spot.
0: Yeah, if you can get two wins, I think you – put yourself in that position. You know, the, the worst possible thing could be an, an O for two, uh, obviously for, you know, or even just one win uh, and then have a team like, let's say Michigan, really come right. on strong and get to Sunday uh, Sunday and, you know, maybe even win it. And, you know, because you, you never know about other leagues around the country too. This is, this exactly. is not, this is real similar to what we see in the, um, you know, in the NCAA basketball tournament. Where if you're kind of in that, I would put Iowa if it was an NCAA basketball tournament, somewhere between a nine and eleven seed. Um, well, you, you feel like you're in, but you never know. You don't want to leave it in the hands of somebody else, or uh, you know somebody else to steal your spot, or you know just somebody who might have a different opinion than the ones that you've kind of been relying on.
2: No doubt, and to Scott's point, I just looked up the official RPI on the NCAA site. Iowa's at fifty-five, so that gives you an idea right there. You get, like Scott said, you get some upsets happening around the country against teams that are solidly in, um, and you get some, you know, conference champs that wouldn't have got in otherwise. That starts to push you a little farther back. But for Iowa, a team that's, you know, in recent years is kind of for lack of a better term, struggled down the stretch. It played really well down the stretch this year, sweeping Indiana in the last series. Hopefully, it's got momentum, and hopefully, it can do what it needs because now it's really in in you know the Hawkeyes' hands. They they can control this. They they win. You know you have you have one of the best pitchers. You have the pitcher of the year in the Big Ten, going for you first, um, and then after that, you know you got that one win under there. You, there's been a, the 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 this team has had pitching depth all year. This is the time of year where it should shine.
0: Yeah, and and as pessimistic as it feels like at least I've been <laughs> the last few minutes, I think this team is well positioned to win the whole damn thing. Yeah. Um I think they are surging. I mean, they won 17 out of 22 um since early April, you know, the first week of April they were kind of in, you know, after that what lost 2 out of 3 to Illinois, they really have been maybe the best team in the big 10. So I, I think this is the time where they're taking off. They're going in the right direction. I believe that they've got that opportunity and it wouldn't surprise me at all. If it's Iowa, Maryland for the big 10 championship come Sunday and, and they got a good chance to win that. So, uh, you know, with major, I, I think last week that was an aberration, but you know, on the other side, it's uh You know, you got to take care of business and beating Penn State and and then uh, you know winning your bracket and don't exhausting your arms is is really critical at this time of year.
2: Yeah, I was out there on Thursday night. I left after the uh, the middle of the second, no, the middle of the third when it was thirteen to two Indiana and the wind was cranking straight out and Indiana was just lofting the ball up in Uh the air off a major and just carrying and going out. But what a wild game! Thirty to sixteen, Iowa. Uh, you know, it it was, uh, it was one of those games where people will remember years down the road and say, you remember when Iowa put a 30 spot up on Indiana?
0: I know. It was kind of like the, uh, somewhat in reverse, but it was like the football game, you know, you just needed Riley Moss out there, I guess. But but yeah, you know, that was an aberration. That was one bad performance, you know, in a crazy weather environment. I think he's going to settle down. He's, You know, again, you know, this could be on the cold takes part of things, but that's why we do this. I would be more surprised if he gave up four plus runs today than I would be if he gave up one or less, or at least had one earned run or less. So I think that's his, it could be his kind of day, depending on what the weather's like in Omaha when he pitches. And I I expect him to have a, a really good first performance for the Hawkeyes.
2: He was the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. Keaton Anthony was the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. A lot of other awards for the Hawkeyes. Uh, Kyle Hoxdorf was uh, Player of the Week. He had he had twelve yeah. RBIs. Right. He record twelve RBIs in that game that Scott and I were referencing last uh, last Thursday against Indiana. Twelve RBIs, three home runs. Man, that's those are games you dream of. That's like wiffle ball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is there a better, I mean, yeah, this is going to be one of those where we're all going to, you know, especially depending on what happens this week and next, yeah. um, you know, what, ha- you know, and, and Iowa, you know, the way they're the way they're surging the players, they have the young arms that are getting better and have potential. Um, this could be the kickoff of a really strong couple of week period for Iowa, not just a one weekend thing. Uh, but, you know, you want to get your best performance from your, from the pitcher of the year in the Big Ten, who's potentially a first-round draft pick. I mean, you know, I'm talking to some of our MLB reporters at the Athletic. They, there's a lot of things Iowa does analytically that they really appreciate at the next level, and and Major is going to be one guy that's uh, got a. he he'll, he'll hear his name called very very early in that draft.
2: Yep, going to make a lot of money. Catch him tonight at five o'clock. Big Ten Network, weather permitting. Uh, and check in on the Hawkeyes. All those games are on Big Ten Network. So keep an eye on the Hawkeyes and what they're doing down there. Best of luck to Rick Heller and the guys. Um, We're going to flip over to some football here. Uh, Before we do that, I wanted to let you know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. Thank you to System Unlimited. Edward Jones and Wild Rose Casino for the support of the podcast. Um, you mentioned before, Scott, you're on top of this stuff a lot more than I am, which isn't saying much. I wouldn't I wouldn't brag about knowing more than I am. But um, sketch, some scheduling for college football tomorrow. Let Folks will get to know kind of the early season start times and be able to plan accordingly.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're gonna. It looks like you'll get the th- first three games of the uh, football season. Or the times, their kickoffs, and the networks, or yeah, all home games. So South Dakota State on Labor Day weekend, and the uh, the Cy-Hawk game, and then Nevada, and and a lot of times with that uh, comes the kickoff time for for homecoming. And uh, and also the uh, and I think that's Northwestern this year, late October, and then and then a lot of times specialty game dates, and if BTN picked up, um, you know, Black Friday game again, you know, you might find out that time, which is also at home. So you could get you could get the times for five kickoffs at home this year, which is pretty remarkable. I I do think that you'll get, you know, certainly the first three will be announced, and uh, it's it's fascinating because. As we, we've gotten into this expansion era, a lot of people's minds are still kind of trapped in the pre-expansion and pre-Fox uh, era. Fox looks at its Dune kickoff as the premier time for itself, and the ratings prove it. So the one that won't get announced, probably, but it might, you know, it, it could be part of this, is Michigan and Iowa on October 1st that's one where everybody's like oh that's gonna be a night kickoff at kinnick Primetime is not number one for fox fox is the primary record uh uh rights holder for the big 10 so it puts its number one game at noon or big noon kickoff 11 a.m our time so as much as everybody might want that to be a primetime kickoff it's probably not going to be but then again if I if I came out and said, hey, I think South Dakota State's gonna be a night kickoff, people might, why is that gonna be at night? Well, because they're windows. And it's not exclusive to these great games. So it it's the most unpredictable uh scenarios I've seen. The only thing I can say is the Iowa State game won't be on Fox at noon because that's Alabama, Texas. So it's probably more of a midday game. Probably is my guess is maybe an ABC um, or ESPN kickoff. And again, that one could be at night, but I'm sure even though Iowa doesn't have much of a say, um, I know Iowa doesn't want it to be at night either.
2: Yeah. (laughs) My mind goes back 20 years ago to what it was like at night and coming out of that press box and just looked like a disaster area in the parking lot. And that was not a good scene, but the last few years, at least, you know, um, not taking the covid year in the in the consideration here it's been it's mostly like like mid afternoon wasn't there a five o'clock in there for the cyhawk series? I thought it was like a three three thirty five five thirty and then there was that ridiculous weather impacted game that lasted i think four days. It seemed yeah, like it did. Any it did yeah
0: <laughs> yes um. It's been, uh, let's see, in 16, Matt Campbell's first trip to Iowa City, it was a night kickoff um, at BTN, I, I want to say. And then 17 over there was an early kickoff, might have been 11. Uh, 18 over here was like a late afternoon, so I think it might have been 3 or 3.30 on Fox or FS1. 19 over there was a was uh, when the, the first time they had uh, um, game day, but it was like 3 o'clock. And then, of course, it lasts until after nine.
2: Yeah, that <laughs> was know. miserable.
0: And then uh, 21 last year, it was also um, a night kickoff or an afternoon kickoff, if I recall. So I would expect just because uh, looking at that date, I try to analyze what's going on, not only uh, for these teams, but also in the Big Ten and around the country, and knowing that Fox has already selected Alabama, Texas for 11, and you want to talk about a a game that should be in prime time, it's that one, you know, for a million reasons, including the heat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, can you imagine Austin, Texas, on the second Saturday in September at 11 a.m.? I remember what it
2: was like last year in Ames on the second Saturday. It was hot.
0: Yeah, that was the first time I think I'd wore shorts to a game. Cause it was like 90, I want to say it was 99 in the press box. It was like 91 or 91 on the field, 91 in the press box or vice versa. So it was just God awful. There was no air conditioning, no fans and you were on the field. So it was just, it was balmy to say the least. So hopefully this year it's not the same, but, but still I, I would expect it to be mid afternoon or, or
2: even an evening kickoff. And you're thinking nighttime for South Dakota State, or were you just putting that out there as a possibility?
0: Yeah, the South Dakota State, Nevada ones, again, don't be surprised if it's a night. Don't be surprised if it's at 11 or 3.30 or 3 o'clock on uh, BTN or something, because now that there are 14 teams and all of them are non-conference games, They've got to shove these games wherever they can fit them. And so uh, it's not the exclusive windows we once saw where you'd have all the games at 11 and then a 2.30 and then maybe there'd be a special night kickoff. Uh, you might see two or three night kickoffs. You might see two or three at, at 2.30 and you might see six or seven at 11. So it's it's going to be all over the place. I I, think, I ever can't predict it.
2: You think a Big Ten network for Black Friday?
0: It's worked out for them the last couple of years. Last year was the highest-rated game in BTN history, almost two million viewers, and when you think about it, that's just massive uh, for for a, a re, you know a, a specialty cable network. And when the ACC championship game was just barely above that, I mean it's it's really an impressive feat. So BTN has liked that. It's used its first pick on on Black Friday because it could build everything around it. It's a specialty day. It can have an exclusive time window and then it can promote all the other games the rest of the weekend. So I would, I would not be surprised unless somebody uses a high, high pick, um, on black Friday, I would not be surprised if it's, uh, if it's again on BTN.
2: So the chance again, uh, tomorrow, which would be Thursday, May the 26th, uh, to learn five times, five of the seven game times for Iowa football. So you can, uh, make your plans with family and friends for those tailgates. Um, what else would be left
0: Michigan and well, Northwestern, but that's homecoming. And a lot of times they, yeah. they have that early. Now last year I went, I looked through it and homecoming was two thirty. It was Purdue. And that was set in advance because if I recall correctly, Michigan and Ohio state and Penn state all had buys. Mm. So um tv needed something in that window and then of course when um iowa vaulted up to number two it makes sense just to keep it there and uh but you know they usually like their 11 o'clock kickoff on that weekend and then there's i think uh, in in that weekend is also michigan michigan state and ohio state penn state so um i kind of think you know either 11 or 230 is going to be the the destination
2: for that one Makes a lot of sense, so check out for that tomorrow. I'm sure Scott will have a lot about that on his site and on his Twitter. Um, let's skip over. Iowa got a – we'll do a little bit of uh, comings and goings on the uh, player personnel roster updates here. Um, addition on Saturday, Aiden Hall. A, I list him as an athlete, Scott. Um, he told me they've talked to him about safety, linebacker, cash, um he kind of fits that mold he's a really good all-around athlete you can look on his twitter shows him dunking a basketball he's just another one of those kids uh that i was getting from in state that's a really versatile athletic defensive guy um, from harlan and uh grew up a hawkeye fan iowa offered him a couple weeks before he committed maybe not even a full full week full two weeks but uh came in and uh Visited a few times. He was here during the season as well. Uh, Saw what he needed to see. And he was ready to jump on the ninth known verbal commitment in Iowa's 2023 recruiting class.
0: Right. Uh, Yet another, I think he's the fifth in stater. Um, You know, he's, he's, got that versatility as you said and and it's you know he's good on offense he did a lot of different things I I think he played wide receiver maybe as a sophomore and last year kind of do it all thread offensively on the running back and caught passes out of the backfield and and stuff so he's he's really you know he fits that category and and in Iowa's next two classes they've got a lot of those tweener types on the defensive side of the ball and and you know and there's no reason why one of them couldn't flip over to offense and play you know a skill position but uh it, it is fascinating to me just kind of how they've compiled these guys and just said okay you know you're you're going to be a linebacker slash safety and we'll just kind of see how you grow and um you know because at Aiden Hall's case he's already like
2: what six 200 pounds and it's, it's interesting because he and Zach Lutmore are relatively similar yeah. style you know size body types Um, And and I think Ludmer they're bringing in as a safety and hall, they're just kind of, well, we'll see. So uh, they really, when they bring these kids in, they really look at their body types at the potential for where, Mm -hmm. you know, how they may grow and they kind of project how those turn out. But like you said, they may, they may not turn out that way. So keeping the options open for positions, a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and then they'll move
0: them if they need to anyway, but you know, you look at like a Jackson Rexroth when he was at, Xavier and he's a walk-on but he was like 190 195 yep. pounds he's already almost a 220 at Iowa so it's like um yeah you're gonna be a linebacker now <laughs> yeah. and, and so and, and that's probably the case with Hall I mean maybe his body type is just to the point of you know it, it makes sense for him to uh you know keep it open because if he can take on 25 pounds you know we'll we'll move you up to linebacker and you have really good athletic you know ability and speed and at that position which is what you're looking for now rather than the 245 pound ass kickers although jack campbell fits that category and and rightly so because he can do it all but he's more of like a tight end (laughs) with really good really good athletic ability so uh so yeah no i think that's a really good pickup for iowa they're kind of collecting all of these small town Athlete types in the next two classes, and it's almost like, dare I say, low hanging fruit. Um, and then now they could start focusing more on the the big game, you know, hunting out there, and and then the out 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 of state
2: players. Yeah, and Alex Mota is another kid in the twenty three yeah. class that kind of kind of fits in that category. I talked to him last year, two thousand twenty one state tournament, and they were thinking safety cash type with him now they're bringing him in as a receiver so that lets you know that hey this is a kid that we'll see you know we'll bring him in we'll tell him receiver um we'll get him out there and practice and then you know as norm parker used to say get him on the bus and then find we'll find a seat when they get on exactly And, and they've done that in the past and most of them have turned out to be really
0: good defensive backs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Josh, Josh Jackson and Greg may immediately come to mind. Yep. They were kind of, well, which one do they play? And then they end up on defense. Micah Hyde, of course, uh, is probably similar to that too. So I think in, in some ways, uh, you know, that's smart, bring him in, let him see if he can play receiver. If not flip them over and you'll have a great player on that way. And then, you know, what uh, Ben uh, Keeter is, is a linebacker to the nth degree and, <laughs> i'm anxious to see how he juggles wrestling and football but in either sport that he really masters he'll be uh he'll be an elite player i think he's probably an overlooked athlete right now he's he's going to be outstanding
2: alex moda won the uh class 3a 100 meters at uh, the state track meet last week so good performances down there by uh by a lot of the area football players in the Incoming class and coming classes, you know, upcoming classes, I should say. So uh, that was cool to see. Um, I've noticed, Scott, that I was getting a lot more in that they've gotten. Uh, Abdul Hodge is doing a lot of work in Florida right now. That's kind of been his area. Good feedback from recruits on him. And now LeVar Woods is starting to spend a lot more time in Arizona. Um, too. You know, there was a story on Hawk Fanatic the other day from Brian Urlacher's uh, huh? son, which is uh, an interesting prospect. He's from Chandler, Arizona, defensive back. And uh, so it looks like they're trying to hit those two areas, both really talent-rich states. Arizona is underrated. as, a, as I think Arizona is getting better and better every year in terms of producing high-end prospects. No question. And, uh, I, you know,
0: what? I'm not sure who was the – actual one that started it off. It was just, you know, I know they went after Eli Sanders, but that was a late guy and he went to Iowa state and you look at, um,
2: I think they made made quite a few connections with Kyler Casper and Kevin is down there and Kevin and LeVar are very close. So even though Kyler didn't come to Iowa, there's still a lot of connections down there and, and Kevin is involved in, in, you know, the high schools down there. So that, that could help Iowa.
0: Yeah. And, and as, as far as you mentioning, you know, the, the connection with Arizona, there are nonstop flights, yep. Um, at, you know, at times from, you know, either Des Moines or from Cedar Rapids. And, uh, it's a state with, it's still a booming population. A lot of snowbirds live down there, uh, people with Midwestern ties and, and uh, the Pac-12 really tries to recruit Southern California a lot more than it does Arizona. And Arizona and Arizona State, I mean, Arizona State has gone more national mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of its recruiting. And let's face it, I don't know that Herm Edwards is long for that game there. Uh, likewise, uh, Arizona has kind of been a blip in over recent years. Hasn't really worked out. So, you know, if you could grab a couple guys, you know, it's an easier flight it's not as congested as, as Texas and and Florida and, you know, Hey, you know, that's, that's not the worst place. It's not like going to, and, you know, I think Iowa's kind of expanded into Colorado as well uh, that way. And, you know, mainly because of picking up Alex Padilla and, and then that's allowed them to kind of recruit, you know, chase Brackney now as a commit and, and a few other players, uh, you know, they tried to get that tight end. What is it? Gunther Helm, I want to say, or Gunner yeah. Helm, uh, but he went to Texas, but, so, you know, there there's some fertile recruiting ground that you know, out west that Iowa can get. And if you can get there in, in those flights and those easy, uh, there's no difference between that and Atlanta or, or Florida if you can get those players.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And Iowa has kind of not stayed married to any certain location, it has had that ability to move around, whether it be Texas, Florida, uh, St. Louis. Obviously, Chicago, uh, Michigan, and Ohio—they they seem to stick with—and um, mm-hmm. and just do, they, you know, Indianapolis. You do work in those footprint areas, but the the outside of your footprint, Iowa's done a good job of kind of New England, Connecticut, you know, Pennsylvania. So yeah. Iowa's done a good job of moving around.
0: Yeah, and it's all up to the assistant coaches too, you yeah. know what their experiences are, because. Let's face it. You can find players anywhere. You know, there are special ones that you want to recruit and you want to recruit your neighborhood, but, but by and large, I mean, there's no, you can find a great player in Phoenix. You can find a great player in South Florida or the Boston area or, you know, in, in the prep schools out East or Youngstown, Ohio, or, you know, so it, it's just a matter of, you know, making sure you have those connections and then they can, you can settle on a couple of them.
2: interesting uh prospect from florida that's coming in on uh i I don't know if it's that that june 24th weekend where um iowa has its big recruiting weekend with official visitors i think zachary toby who's a defensive back from florida is coming in a few days before that he's cramming in a bunch of official visits at once and uh Iowa got in with him relatively recently and was able to secure uh, an official visit at him pretty quickly. So that's a good sign. That's a good sign that Abdul Hodge, uh, you know, who who recruited Florida for South Dakota. Um, but, you know, so he's got related and he's from down there. So he has relationships. Be are to see how that helps on.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think now you've got, you've got guys who have that background down in Florida with Abdul with also with, uh, uh, you know, the Del Betts, Kelton Copeland has, yep. has history there. So, so it's, it's an important spot and uh, you know, whether it's Tampa where they've had some success, certainly with Dane Belton being the primary one, uh, you know, I know Jacksonville and they were able to land uh, Mike Myslinski, Um, you know, that was a little different situation, but, you know, Orlando and, and Tampa or Miami are fertile territory. And they got a, you know, really good running back from South Florida that they like a lot and should have an opportunity. So I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how they develop there. And, and uh, you know, I don't know. It, it. I mean, what do you think? I mean, Iowa is always, as you kind of, that's kind of a vagabond school anyway, because although the state of Iowa has been better, I would say as far as uh, producing talent in the last few years than ever before but still you've got to rely on outbound players you just can't rely on your region and and uh i mean is is florida is is florida worth that a major investment is it worth a dabble uh can you keep them you know because they've had some you know especially like largo with uh the with marcus pascal that's it that hasn't really paid off that you yeah. know thus far
2: Yeah, it's always, you know, time will tell. With Iowa and recruiting, it's always kind of connections and relationships often when they're not, particularly when they're out of the footprint, out of the region. Um, That's what's helped them in the past. You mentioned Marcus Pascal. One of the interesting um, dynamics for me is Gus Malzahn at Central Florida now. In Central Florida, going to the Big 12 Yeah, Um, that changes things in that really talent rich area of the state, because, you know, I've talked to a few kids down there and they mentioned Central Florida and you're like, well, that's weird. They're mentioning, you know, these these power five schools and then Central Florida as a real player. Well, that's going to be another factor. So now you've got Miami, Florida State, Florida and Central Florida, all power fives now Four power fives in the state. I think that's going to make it even more difficult for schools outside of the regions. I still think, you know, other ACC schools, other SEC schools will be able to get into Florida easier. But I think it's going to make it harder for, you know, your non-Ohio State, Michigan, Penn States in the Big Ten to maybe recruit that state.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, because 20 years ago, there were three major players in the state the SEC wasn't quite the powerhouse as it is now or became, you know, a couple of years later, Iowa was able to get, you know, whether it's Brett Bielema getting in and getting, you know, the, the South, the, the plantation Florida guys and, you know, guys like Abdul Hodge and and Brad Banks and Colin Cole and, and, you know, uh, CJ Jones, I mean, Fred Barr. yeah, Fred Barr that, that really paid off handsomely. But now when you do have a UCF, which was, god it was barely a school then um and now it's it's a major player usf was barely a school and even though it's not power five yet it's still in the state and it has a major presence um the acc is a bigger league than it once was that yes an ohio state or or the major players are going to be able to go in and get that four or five star talent because they're wide open at the highest level but the, the three star guys, the under the radar guys now have that option. And the Big 12 is going to be a major player there. Yep. You're going to, you're, you're, if you're Iowa State and if you're, you know, you hate to say it, and certainly on this podcast, but if you're from Orlando, you're not going to see a whole lot of differences between Iowa and Iowa State. Um, it's just not the case. Um, you know, so if your options are, hey, we're going to come and we're going to play here. And you're going to see us every couple of years, versus, you know, Iowa. Yeah, I mean, we might come to the Citrus Bowl or yeah. or, or the Outback Bowl, but you know, that's it. Once not in the career. Outback
2: Bowl anymore,
0: is it? No, it's the Tampa Bay Bowl. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, that's crazy. That that rest one is in just, rest yeah. in peace, rest in peace, Bloomin' it, It's it, other than the Tampa area, no other place will probably be as heartbroken or as difficult <laughs> to remember that name. Because it took people a long time to recognize that the the Citrus Bowl was not the Capital One Bowl anymore, I know. you know, let alone the Outback Bowl. I mean, that's just – it's it's almost it's almost as delible as Australia's Outback. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if you're an Iowa State or, or a Kansas State or Kansas and West Virginia, Cincinnati, you can go to that part of the country and say, look, you're going to play, you know, for us in a major league and we're going to come back here and you're going to see your family, you know, you can't do that in Iowa. So I'm intrigued to see how that all works out. It, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe Iowa still gets its players, but otherwise I could see Arizona, as, as you said earlier,
2: providing that kind of opportunity that maybe Florida might not. Speaking of areas where Iowa recruits pretty consistently, Michigan is one of those areas. And we found out today via his social media uh, that Alondo Trader, a cornerback out of Jackson, Mississippi, or Jackson, Mississippi, Jackson, Michigan, uh, who signed with Iowa December 15th, the signing day, that was when he announced he was committing to Iowa and signed on the same day, Formal former Central Michigan recruit also had Nebraska and Vanderbilt after him late in the process. He announced today uh, that he will not be coming to Iowa has reopened his recruitment. And it's an interesting thing, Scott, because I I don't have this information. Perhaps you do. If Iowa let him out of that letter, or if this is like, this is my, uh, my transfer, this is my, you know, you get the one freebie where he doesn't have to, Cause that would be interesting that, you know, a recruit would use that this early in the process. If that's the case, again, I don't know if that's the case. Honestly, I would hope not.
0: I I would hope that I would just, you know, he hasn't attended classes. He hasn't yeah. been on campus yet. Let him have a free go. So he doesn't have to, um, you know, it's one thing if you're, if you are already here, if you've been practicing and stuff like that, Um But, you know, this is one where I don't think there's a lot of consternation about necessarily because when he's one of five defensive backs they're bringing in, uh, two of which are already on campus, it is a loaded secondary. Um, You know, maybe it's
2: three cornerbacks. too. T.J. Hall's already here.
0: Right. These really turned heads. Deshaun Lee will be
2: here next month.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was a late guy. And then yep. uh, Cohen, you know, entering her, I think is the other one. And uh, from the Ann Arbor area, uh, Ypsilanti, I think. So uh, it's, it's crowded. There are a lot of guys committing late. It's probably for the best case scenario that he just does it enroll. Now I don't know the circumstances, so I don't want to get too far of the hit, you know, end of the game here. I don't know. Academic situation. I also don't know, um, you know, competition or if he's been you know hearing from other places or realizes that maybe this isn't the best case for him so I don't
2: really know all of that you talked to him last week didn't you? he <laughs> did talk to him last week and he was excited as heck to get here but you know your kids aren't that far out of high school my kid I have two kids in high school their minds can change from the time I dropped them off at school in the morning to the time I picked them up in the afternoon. So yeah. while it may seem crazy for somebody that's out in the real world, an adult, when you're dealing with high school kids, their decisions and their minds can change on a whim. And without knowing what the, what happened, um, you know, basically I'll take what he posted on social media at face value. And that's that he wants a he's looking for an opportunity that he feels is better for him and his future. Yeah. And good. And you would rather have that happen now, Scott, than have him come in in August or September and realize, shit, this isn't where I want to be.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. And, and again, it's a very competitive situation. And I don't know, you know, other than Xavier Wampa and now TJ hall a little bit, you know, none of us knew exactly who would fit in and who wouldn't who who would emerge who would not i mean you're gonna get more transfers anyway even though iowa's been at the really low end of this so good for him for just recognizing that if that's the choice that was made for that he made that choice that this is just it's better for him to to look around now rather than enroll kind of waste money frankly (laughs)
2: yeah
0: you know and then also it is such a jam-packed backfield that you just you wonder about the opportunities for even players who've stayed you know an A.J. Lawson and a Brandon Diaz Fernandez you know when you have a T.J. Hall who's emerged and you know Riley Moss is there Terry Roberts and Jamari Harris so there's just a lot of you know space so you know I I don't know you know maybe he was thinking about it maybe there was a conversation I don't want to speculate about academics but it, it is you know, of that timeline. To, yeah. So, you know, but probably better now for everybody than later on, because later on causes a lot more headaches. And just the simple fact of moving. <laughs> yeah. Moving sucks. So, you know, move to Iowa City and then realize you're not happy and then uh, load up the car or have your parents come back and pick you up. Uh, I,
2: I think it's probably smart you just never know who's going to emerge from the pack. Iowa recruits a lot of defensive backs and just there's going to be attrition. There's going, there are going to be guys that don't find their way to the field. And, you know, we can go down the list of I mean, Jamari Harris, he kind of just emerged from a pack of guys. Yeah, uh, Riley Moss, same thing. Uh, Matt Hankins. I mean, you just, you never know which guy is going to kind of rise up out of the group of guys that come in. And again, speculating he may have seen that pack and said, you know what? Maybe my odds are better somewhere else to come out of a pack than at, at Iowa.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Cause as you said, you know, I mean, Riley Moss, when he came in, I want to say he was one of six defensive backs. He and he and Kayvon Merriweather were the two stars that really emerged. And then you had uh, you know, Julius Brent's a yep. four-star, and you know, he. Riley beat him out. Then you have uh, Dallas Kratth, who, you know, graduated. Congratulations to him, but yes. hasn't really emerged as a player on the field. Uh, DJ Johnson picked Iowa over Notre Dame, and um, it didn't, you know, I don't know. I think he's looking for another home, and and there's there's one more I'm struggling to remember, but but you know, either way, you've got uh, you know, there's so many. <laughs> I, I know, it's hard to, hard to keep track. You know, but you know the, the guys that emerged were the guys you didn't expect to, to play and when you have a guy like riley moss who big 10 defensive back of the year then you know you didn't lose anything you know because mm-hmm. some people i know you get these questions too people are wondering well why isn't dallas Cradith emerged i'm like well look at it the other way and say wow Kayvon merriweather was a two-star and he emerged so Things happen. Things are different, weird. You know, you just got to kind of roll with it. Recruiting and and uh, but I think Iowa likes who's on campus right now quite a
2: bit. Yeah, no question. And uh, we wish or- Orlando the best. Hopefully, he finds a uh, the right spot for him. Um, that's one open scholarship. I don't know what you're using. I mean Iowa. Maybe I don't think ever Iowa ever stops looking into the transfer portal. I don't think anybody should stop looking in the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. Should always keep an eye on what's going on around there and what might emerge from that, that, um, that resource. Um, And then you also have guys that are walk-ons that may end up getting that scholarship this season. Hard to say. um, But I don't think Iowa, as Scott said, I don't think Iowa is scrambling to fill that right now
0: yeah well terry roberts was the other one in that class (laughs) (laughs) i'm like oh crap but but yeah you look at um you know they've got you know guys like quinn schulte who might start i would think that he would be the next logical progression up that up that ladder you know that hey if you're going to start i think you deserve a scholarship so um you know and and they're at i have them at now 82 i don't know if that's right um they're you never know, you never know who got one and they didn't say, and, you know, you don't talk to them anyway, that type of thing. But I, I, I
2: is- was not one of those programs that big on promoting who they give the scholarships to. They, they told us a few years ago at Nebraska, at the end of Nebraska yeah. game, right. Who was getting them yeah. out of that group. So yeah. it, it takes uh, sometimes it takes some weeks to find out who actually has, the, has those scholarships.
0: <laughs> right. I know. I and mean, You think about it. You know, the, the, we, we could go on all day about this kind of stuff, but wouldn't you want to tell people that, I mean, especially because there are so many of those borderline kids in this state, some that, you know, a Kyler shot emerged and somebody else did not and, and, you know, Jack Kerner was a walk on and went to South Dakota and instead he ended up being a three year starter. Don't you want to kind of promote that, that, hey, you and, and they all know the opportunities there. But if you got if if you've got that scholarship, that's to me is something that should be let know because they let let us know on the front end who signs. Yep, might might want to let us know in the midstream when somebody has played well enough. You know, like now they got three scholarship fullbacks, <laughs> but they're all seniors, of course. Yeah. But you know, that's it's a promotion, but still, <laughs> that's something. That if you tweet it, you know, everybody'll go. Ah! <laughs> you know, you're like you're like guys. They had some extras. They just decided to do it for the fall.
2: That 2022 class is scheduled to arrive on June the 12th. That's coming quickly, and they will be uh, rudely awakened with conditioning, summer conditioning. We've got uh, prospect camp starting uh, June 4th, I believe. That first weekend of yeah. June. So a week from this weekend, uh, you'll have kids coming in. Uh, and taking part in Iowa's camps, they have various elite camps and you know general camps, position-oriented camps. See a lot of offers go out that time. You see some commitments, things like that. So, be some activity in June after a, a slow May. Um, so keep an eye on that. And then at the end of the month, they. They have the big, as we talked about, the big uh, official visit weekend. So I was at nine commitments so far in the 2023 class. Uh, We'll see where it goes from there. I'm not sure how big this class will be, Scott. Have you kind of looked at that, low 20s maybe?
0: Yeah, I think so because you still have your sixth-year guys like Charlie Jones and uh, and Riley Moss, and then, um, you know, you expect a little bit of attrition, but I think they're in a good spot to probably go with, 20 to 22 and then just depending on attrition from there and um you know they still got some spots reserved for some pretty good players so uh that you know we'll make a decision later on but you know they're they got a heavy 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 you know recruitment date on the 24th that's their main weekend and then also you've got uh you know a a couple others i think the 10th they've got a couple of kids and and uh, as you mentioned, the Florida player has got, I think, the 20th might
2: be. Yeah, he's 20 to 22nd. I talked to him the other day. Uh, yeah, Zachary Toby has, uh, he will be here the 20th through the 22nd. He starts as Iowa State official. So Iowa and Iowa State going after a Florida kid on June 10th. Uh, he will be at Illinois. So he got Bielema involved from the 17th yeah. to the 19th. So he goes from Illinois right to Iowa and then North Carolina from the 24th through the 26th. And he also told me that uh, he'd maybe like to visit Boston College. So he's going to get a lot of frequent flyer miles here uh, <laughs> in, in the month of June. But uh, interesting prospect to to be sure. So is he... <laughs>
0: I wonder about the the travel's kind of fascinating to me. I mean, does he get a flight from Champaign to Iowa City or to Cedar Rapids? I mean that would that would be insane. You know, you'd almost you know, I mean, how much money are you spending on a private flight? Yeah.
2: (laughs) If you're Iowa, yeah, I don't know. His travel agent's gonna have to figure that that out how they kind of work that around. But yeah, I mean
0: what's maybe it's through Chicago that possibly. Yeah. But, you know, or I don't know, even though it's an official, maybe they'll get money. Maybe they're just going to drive, you know, maybe fly to Chicago and drive the rest and, you know, get money for their uh, rental car and stuff like that. I don't know.
2: See a little bit of the Midwest. I think you can find, you take 74 from Champaign to hit 80 across Iowa. You're going to find out all about where you're getting yourself into from a Florida, Florida kid coming to the Midwest. You'll get a full picture in that route.
0: You'll see a hell of a lot of orange cones somewhere. Yep, <laughs> probably on seventy four. Um, you know, Hit the then, Kentucky
2: Fried Chicken in Galesburg.
0: Yeah, or or uh, oh Cracker Barrel in uh, Bloomington, <laughs> or Five Guys in Peoria. You know, and uh, the the you know get gas at the eighty truck stop. Yep, definitely and, see uh, the
2: largest truck stop. You got to do yeah. that on the way.
0: Right, and. Uh, Yell at, a, yell, yell at a few semis because the confluence of three major interstates at you know right there before you cross the river is aggravating at, at the best.
2: Uh, um where were we going next? Let's. Uh, you, you did a, a really nice piece on, on Dr. Christine Grant. They had a, a celebration of life for her Sunday, correct? At Carver yeah, Hawkeye Arena, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, announced that they're going to have a documentary uh, for her coming out which yeah. would be really very interested in seeing that. I had a great a great opportunity to sit down with her in her office a few times over in the field house, not the bar downtown, the the Iowa athletic facility, but uh, had a time <laughs> to spend in her office and just really absorb the just the Huge amount of knowledge that she has and and her visions and everything like that. She is a pioneer. She's a legend. Um, She'll be missed. And and very cool that Iowa can call her one of its, you know, its people.
0: No question. Uh, I can't say enough superlatives about Christine Grant and what she means to life in this country. because. 50 years since title nine the what she had to do to fight um iowa didn't fight her that much iowa was really good back then um you know as far as promoting women's athletics um and trying to build that partnership and gaining enough scholarships because her first uh when she first became athletics director i think she had three thousand dollars um and then it you know then in year four or whatever, she, I think she had 80 scholarships to use. So there was a lot of trust and buildup and she had a great partner in bump Elliot who didn't fight her, who helped uh, you look at Hayden Fry, who they started charging at that point in the eighties uh, at the spring games and all of the money went there. You had the, the VIP Amana golf tournament that, you know, the proceeds went there. And at, at one point, the largest donation by a company towards an af- women's athletics department was was a like a sixty seven thousand dollars donation from from that tournament, but that takes away nothing from what she did at Iowa and how she, how hard she fought and what she did nationally is beyond reproach. It in some ways I kind of compared her to the George Washington of Title IX because she fought. Had to go to, she was on task force, had to fight at Capitol Hill. There was some backsliding in the eighties when an interpretation by the Supreme Court uh, allowed certain colleges to wiggle out. She fought it and won. Um, and you think about what women in our society and girls in our society are allowed to do now that wasn't the case when we were born and young and the confidence that women and girls have. And the abilities to do so many things in this world, because the opportunity to compete in athletics, it's immeasurable. Her then, at Iowa and in the world, it's immeasurable. And I, she is on the very short list, the Mount Rushmore, of of sports figures, in the 20th century. It's not hyperbolic to say that Christine Grant is on a similar plane as is Jackie Robinson, to me, because what she was able to do for a gender that was disadvantaged in every in every way possible, and to fight and put them on a plane where they have equity, is you know astounding. And so I, I think in in some ways, Iowa doesn't know enough. The fan base certainly doesn't know enough about her, but I think her impact is is so profound. That it requires deep dives like the one I did, but like anybody should do, um, not only this year, but and I'm glad that Fry Fest has taken that upon them to to do more. Um, it, she needs to be known and known widely.
2: Yeah, I agree with Scott. Do uh, do yourself a favor, research, read Scott's piece, research what she was able to accomplish, and she did it. She, she was tough when she needed to be and, and persistent, but she did it with grace and intelligence and logic and made people understand that it was the right thing to do what she did. And that's not easy. That's not when she did it. That was so hard to do um, that. It's, it's amazing. I've always been amazed by what she was able to accomplish. Without a doubt,
0: because he- you have to walk that careful line of fighting and being strong and, and forceful when you needed to be, but also be able to, to use logic, to be able to, to show people why this is important and, and not always beat them over the head with it. And it's, it's a very difficult line, but it's one that she was able to navigate so successfully. And, and there were times when she was at odds with her own athletics, you know, the, the own university, but more often than not, they're very supportive. And and none of this matters if there wasn't the level of success that Iowa women had when she was there, because then she just becomes a, a figure, an important one. But when you hire C. Vivian Stringer and they they take off from, I think, like a 2-16 Big Ten women's basketball team to the elite program over her 10 years, and that's been extended through one of her final hires with, with Lisa Bluter, because I want to say in four-year institutions, Bluter's eighth, I think, in in all-time wins and and Stringer's third, Um, you know, Gail Blevins, the field hockey program. Um, I know there's others. And, and and then now, and having that opportunity to talk to Sasha Schmidt and to Lisa Salucci, Mm -hmm. who, you know, the toughest, one of the toughest moments. I know when I talked to Lisa, I was like, in all the years I've been here covering this program, your situation was the most difficult I've ever encountered, I've ever seen. And that's to have, you know, uh, Tracy Greasebaum fired a week before the season started and to be put in that position of your best friend's been fired. You're an alma, yeah, that's your alma mater. How do you navigate this? You have loyalty to your team. But you have loyalty to your friend. You recruited a lot of those Women on the team, and she said Christine Grant was the one that, that told her to, to accept the position. And you can't say no to Christine Grant. And over the years, she said, "I'm proud of you for what you've done. You know, just keep persisting." And and they were number one in the country last year, um, and and made the final four. What two years? Uh, this a spring ago, and the Elite Eight, I want to say last year, and then in um, women's basketball, of course, and and the strides that's been made there all of this is it goes back to her and what she was able to do at Iowa athletically. And then of course, nationally and internationally, it's, it's a story that, that, you know, is uniquely catered to the university of Iowa. That's something that uh, Sasha Schmidt told me that she's like, you know, what makes me proud is there'll be title nine celebrations all over the country next, you know, next month, but we're the only one that gets to claim Christine Grant. And I, I think her and Billie Jean King are two of the most important figures in, in that movement. And, you know, to say to me, I, I, I get goosebumps talking about her, and I don't do that very often with sports figures, but she is so important that we all should learn something from her.
2: Yeah, as you mentioned, great hires. Um, you know, Bump Elliott deservedly so gets credit for his hires, Hayden Fry. Uh, Lou Dolson, uh, you know, on and on with his hires. Uh, you think, you know, field hockey was Christine's baby. That was her, that was her sport. And she identified Beth Beglin, who is one of the greatest to ever do it. And Gal yeah. Levens, who you mentioned. I mean, yeah. Iowa softball was as good as it got. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the Big Ten and in this region and talking about College World Series, things like that. Field hockey was just among the best in the country, she built a powerhouse women's athletic department. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: Judith Davidson. I think they won a yeah. title under her. Beth Beglin was terrific. Uh, I, I would say Lisa Salucci's in their category. She's done a remarkable job. And she's in that tree. She's from that she's that tree. Right. And one of the stories she told her because I, you know, I wanted to know what did they think of her when they were young. They are athletes here, and you know, she was seventeen and on an official visit. And she told, uh, and she came in and, you know, she started talking to Christine Grant and said that she had a paper due on Title IX. And Christine lit up, (laughs) real immediately went and made a bunch of photocopies for her. And, but all of those coaches have such a respect for her. They would go over to her house, and uh, Christine was like, we need to have pies and ice cream for him and Lisa was like no we do not and she's like but people listen when there's sugar you know so just things like that so she wasn't exactly like this dictator that was probably the opposite um, of her and and uh, you know Lisa Bluter admitting you know she was eight months pregnant she interviewed she said she was too Iowa nice and she thought about it and then she called Christine back and said I was too modest and I didn't sell myself enough and, you know, that, that Scottish brogue is so, ele- you know, you, you, could, you could hear it even now. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, no, you didn't do a very good job. And, and then when she passed, Lisa Bluter had told me, you know, that I had scotch to, to remember. Her. And she's like, and I hate scotch. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, but a Titan. And when you think about a golden era of Iowa athletics, when you have Bump Elliott and Christine Grant at the top, with Hayden Fry, with uh, Tom Davis or George Raveling or Lou Olson, Vivian Stringer, uh, Beth Beglin, Gail Blevins towards the end, um, Dan Gable, uh, just on and on. It's you, you don't get any better than that. I mean, titans in their industries, Hall of Fame shortlist coaches and, and administrators. And uh, that legacy... I would I, I'm glad I was showing that off and it and it needs to, because they're all so valuable in, in this uh, endeavor.
2: Yeah. And as Scott mentioned, for those that, that have not heard, uh, Fry Fest this year will be honoring uh, 50 years of Title IX. Uh, that should be a good, good show. I recommend people go down and Fry Fest is always entertaining and they have good themes and this year will be no different. It should be a, should be a good time down there. Um, yeah. I think that'll do it for today. Scott, I think we've hit on the high notes here for a slow time of year. Uh, as we said, things will pick up. We've got recruiting coming in. Uh, we'll probably have access to some student athletes and football and basketball next month. So it won't be long. We're getting getting through the, the, the uh, slow times and the fast times will be coming soon. Right, Spicoli?
0: yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's like uh mark morehouse always used to call these the horse latitudes you know it's just like yeah. where the horizon and the ocean kind of blend together and and uh, before you know it you'll you'll see an oasis or, or an island in the ocean
2: i thank everybody for li- listening thanks again to our sponsors systems unlimited wild rose casino and edward jones appreciate their support um, we will be back next week to talk to you on the hawkeye hotspot podcast. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good holiday and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.